uh, then you get some wisdom, uh, and then you can go to the Lord, uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Um, no magic to that. There, there are plenty of good Bible reading uh, processes that that you can use. But Psalm 19 is actually one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite psalms. And you'll notice whenever we read through it that it is uh, it almost sounds like two. Uh, different themes, because it is. Um, Psalm 19 is one of my favorites because it talks about the world, creation, how God's revealed Himself in creation, and then how God reveals Himself through the Word. Um, natural revelation and then special revelation. So let's read and then we'll, we'll pray. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, where the voice is not heard. Their line has gone through all the earth, and their utterance to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So there's natural revelation. Now watch it turn to scripture, special revelation. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I will be acquitted of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we open your word. And what a privilege it is to be able to, to think, to be able to process, to be able to understand. Um, to be able to process and think and understand language and then it to make sense in our minds. And, and not only that, these words are your words. Um, they tell us about you. And Father, as we read this morning, we, we are reminded that you are the creator. Um, everything that you have made screams, declares, uh, proclaims that you are God. Beside you, there is no other. You, you are uh, omnipotent. You're powerful. You are, you're good. When we look at the heavens, we realize how small we are. We, we, we realize how big you are, how intricate uh, is is all of your work, it just, it displays you. And there's nothing, there's, there's no one on the earth that's where this revelation is, 
is hidden. It, it, it goes throughout all the earth. You, you tell us that here. Then you tell us, Lord, that, that while that declares that there is a God, there's a special revelation that, that we need to convert the soul and to make wise the simple. And, and I just thank you that you have given us the privilege of, of seeing. We were blind, but now we see, and we want to see this morning. Open our eyes. Help us to understand. Um, your word rightly interprets reality. It, it helps us where we're led astray. And this psalm ends with David praying. Uh, there are sins that, that we don't even know that keep us from hidden faults. Uh, uh, there's presumptuous sins. We, we don't want to presume upon your, your grace and just charge ahead. We, we want the, not only what goes on in our hearts, but what comes out of our mouths to be pleasing to you. So not, just, not just our actions, but our intentions, our attitudes. Um, we just submit all of that to you and ask for your grace and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are on page 169. And I'm always amazed at just God's providence. I mean, if I could have been smart enough to pick a book to know, uh, you know, that I was like, okay, what book in the Bible would best prepare a congregation for 2020? in COVID and elections and all the other stuff that's going on. What book would, would be great, Lord? It would be the book of Ecclesiastes. But I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. I just went to the book of Ecclesiastes because all kinds of other reasons. And then whenever you're in the midst of that, what better book to set our hearts to be filled with, with joy and Christ and, and, and sacrifice and service that brings joy than the book of, you know, than the book of Philippians? And now, what, what topics, what, what would be helpful for, for my own heart, Lord, and for a congregation as we now begin to try to navigate to 2021 and the things that, that are happening? And the book of Daniel is coming. But actually, in Grace and Granite, uh, in God's providence, the topic is, is the dangers of, of false teachers. Um, so if you come on Sunday nights to the equipping classes, you're going to have, uh, which is coming up the 1st of February, uh, February the 7th, uh, I believe. So we have uh, this coming Sunday night, uh, corporate gathering, preaching, normal, like last Sunday night. Then we have a family gathering where some new folks are coming in, other corporate gathering. And then on February the 7th, when we gather, same time, 5 o'clock, we'll all gather together, we'll sing, and then you'll have an opportunity to, you know, to, to break up, and there are three options that, that you'll have. Um, the one that I'm teaching is church history, and so uh, it's going to be a layman's version, but we're going to be talking about church history and, and how the, the church survived in the midst of the culture, how God preserved them, and how the Lord used them, and and if you know anything about church history, it starts in the book of Acts and then moves through uh, persecutions and then uh, moves out of persecutions into heresies. And so how does the church survive in the midst of persecutions? That's how it starts in the book of Acts, right? They're persecuted in Jerusalem and they're driven out of Jerusalem and God actually uses that to, to spread the gospel. And so as I was standing back looking at what the Lord is doing, you have the book of Daniel... To, on Sunday mornings, 
And then you have on Sunday nights, you have a number of options, but one of them, church history, how the, how the culture persecutes the church and how the church thrives in the midst of that. And then when you look at grace and granite, it's about, it's about how Satan works inside the church through false teaching. Um, and that's, that's where we're at. We start, though, here this morning on study, the very first study about knowing your, uh, your enemy. Um, you probably have uh, a decent theology about the devil. You probably believe in the devil. You probably know that he's that he's a real person because that's what you've heard from the Bible. But do you actually know about his schemes and his his ways? That's where we we start. Um, and Satan has a methodical process to lead men astray. And there's always a lie involved, um, trying to, uh, to misdirect. And if we're going to talk about the dangers of false teachers, we need to, to first know the, the one who fuels all false teaching. You understand, in the Bible, there, God declares that there is only one true and living God. There's only one truth. Jesus Christ said that himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by, uh, you know, but by me. There, there are not multiple religions. Uh, there's not this secular idea of Christianity and, you know, in Islam and Buddhism and whatever else, and you've got to kind of pick whichever one's the best. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes as, so far as saying that every other religion in the world, other than the one that comes from Scripture, is demonic. It's, it's fueled by demonic forces. So what does that mean? It means that there, there are, are, are little demons you know, behind the curtain pulling the, the strings like in the, in the Wizard of, of Oz. What does it mean to be, to be demonically influenced? I mean, where do all these ideas come from? Well... That's what we're going to talk about in, in, in knowing your enemy. And Satan has a methodical process to lead men astray. He has a plan. And there's always a, a lie involved. We're going to start by looking up some scripture, and then we're going to talk about this, this methodical plan. So somebody uh, look up 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15. Who would do that for me? 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. Thank you. Who would uh, look up Ephesians 6, 10 through 12? Thank you, Mark. Uh, and then uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. Who would look that up for me? All right. Thank you, Jesse. Read for us 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. These are Bible study passages that... You should study during the week as you go back and look over your, your notes. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15. We're going to listen to Scripture, how Scripture describes our, our enemy and his plans, processes.
All right, I'm going to have him read that again. And what I want you to listen for is the descriptions. The God is describing your enemy. God is describing the people that, that serve him. Listen to the descriptions there. Because we're trying to figure out, if I want to know my enemy, um, 2 Peter is a, is a great book that describes false teachers and will probably be there. Um, if there's a missing person, you know, they used to put the pictures of missing you know, people on milk cartons. Or there used to be the wanted posters, you know, hung in the, the post office or otherwise. They're probably still those kind of things. Um, so you could identify you know, who you're looking for. Listen to how Scripture sketches this wanted poster um, of, of Satan. Go ahead. Read it again. Okay. So what's the first thing that that passage tells us? It is how does Satan work? Is he, is, he, is he a guy in a little red suit with a pitchfork? How does he work? He uses men, doesn't he? That's what he says. He, there are actual human beings that are tools, his tools. And, 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 and what else does it say about those men? Oh, they're false. That's exactly right. They're not true. They look a lot like the real thing. They disguise themselves. How do they disguise themselves? How do they present themselves? Okay, they present themselves as apostles of Christ. They actually present themselves. So, I mean, one thing that says is, you know, the old saying, whenever you're looking for the devil in the church, don't forget to look behind the pulpit. What else does it say about them? They present themselves as apostles of Christ. In, in, in what way? Are they frontal? About their what they're trying to do, they're subtle. They present themselves as angels of what? Light. Um, just, just a good guy, just trying to help you understand. Um, you know, it's Satan doesn't play by the rules. <laughs> he doesn't have rules. Um, he doesn't care how he sends you to. You know, to error, he doesn't care what, what, what tool he uses to get you to buy in as long as you, as long as you believe it. And he's a liar. He's the father of, of, of lies. Anything else about that passage? Did you see? They're usually spiritual. Usually spiritual. Yeah. Like the, everybody's talking about the, you know, the, what are the, who's that crazy dude with the, you know, the big... Uh, horned hat that you know was in the the capital. You know had all the tattoos on him. What do they call him? The the you know, shaman guy. Yeah, praying to the heavenly, you know, our heavenly Father, and then in the middle of that prayer, doing some kind of you know mystical. You know, I don't know, praying to the universe or something like that. Yeah, they're really spiritual people. A lot of postmodern people, a lot of people that reject objective truth and reject the Bible and everything else, they're really spiritual people. You know. I mean, all of the all of the movie stars will you know will get up there and thank God. You know, he doesn't, Satan doesn't care if you're spiritual. It's what are you spiritual about? Um, anything else about that passage? Yeah, Ed. Instead, they disguise themselves, mm. which means they're purposeful. They know what they're doing. 
Yeah. They, they are setting out to do what they're doing. Okay, good. All right, read uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through, through 12. We're trying to know our, know our enemy. There's a... All right, I'm going to have him read that again, and he'll be kind of thinking the same way. How is God telling us, how is he describing our enemy here? The Bible is authoritative. It rightly interprets reality. It tells us who God is. It it tells us what's going on in the world. So put on your, your biblical goggles to interpret things. Because of the fall, you don't have right thinking. You can't see things correctly. So scripture helps us understand what's, what's going on. So we're talking about our enemy. We're putting some of these scriptures together. So read it again for us, Mark. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, Okay. What observations there? What does that passage tell us about our enemy? Huh? Schemes. All right. Now, what what comes to your mind whenever you think of a when you think of a scheme? Is it is it up front, out in the open? You know. It's, yeah, it's planned. It's a plot. There's a method to the madness, as they say. So there's a scheme that's there. Crafty. All right, what else does, does that passage say about how knowing your enemy, what does he do, how does he work, how does he infiltrate your life, the church? What does it say about the world? Yeah, Ed? Ah, okay. And you're taking that from we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Um, so what's that say about all the forces that are happening in the world, whether it's false teachers in the church or whether it's, it's you know, political forces or whether it's you know, false religions? What does it say about those? It's like that's all part of the sky. Ah, yeah, that's exactly right. So it's, it's not that these people aren't doing evil. They're doing evil. And like Ed said, they may be even part of the, the scheme, but they also may be deluded. And there's a, there is something, there's a wind beneath their wings. There's something empowering them. And so when we're wrestling, we've got to look behind the, you know, the, the curtain. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're wrestling with the forces, let's say, you know, in Planned Parenthood, but there's something behind that. That's that's operating. Um, what else do you see there? You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. 
What else does that say? What does it say about the schemes? It's organized, isn't it? Organized even to the highest places? These are cosmic forces. You think that you're smart enough to deal with the devil, you're already deluded. He's way smarter than you are. You think you're powerful enough to take him down on your own? Uh, you know, like the crazy nonsense of, of Christians commanding the devil to do something. You know, I love MacArthur's line there. You know, people running around, you know, commanding Satan to do this and do that in Jesus' name. Your kids won't even mind you. Your dog won't even do what you say. What do you think the devil's going to obey you for? I mean, you're not smart enough and powerful enough. You don't have the strength in you. And so don't use human forces or human ideas. You, you, know, you, you, have, two, you, you have two things, preaching and, and, and praying. You're appealing to God in heaven through prayer who controls all things, even the devil. And then the, the one tool that you have is the sword. Everything else is defensive. Put on the full armor of God. You know, know your enemy. Um, so, you, so it's all defensive. And the only offensive weapon that you have is the, you know, the sword of the Spirit, which is Paul's saying here. What is the sword of the Spirit? The Word. You know, it pierces the darkness. It opens eyes. It converts the soul. It, you know, that's what you, you, know, you, you have. So you're using the Word, but the Spirit of God takes the Word and empowers it. And so you know, just... You'd be careful. Holy water and you know exorcisms, that's a bunch of nonsense. It has nothing to do. You, you don't find that prescription in, in Scripture. You find prayer and you find you know, bringing the word of, uh, of God with So you're appealing to heaven. Yeah. All right. Anything else about Ephesians 6? All right. 1 Peter 5 8. Who had that? Yeah, Jesse, go ahead. Mm, all right. I'm going to have Jesse read that again. Same process. Listen to how God is describing um, your enemy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. All right, what does that tell us about, about Satan? Okay, he's relentless. Yeah, Ryan? Um, just that he, he never takes his day off. He's always ready to... Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Is he your friend? He's your adversary. 
He hates you because he hates God. Amen. Yeah. The command to us is to be sober and to be vigilant, watching your eyes open, scanning the horizon, being aware. Um, He's your adversary. He's set against you. He doesn't rest at any time. What else do you notice there? Yeah, Mark? I notice that he's proactive, not reactive. Okay. So he's actively hunting and looking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he devours. John says that Jesus said he comes to steal and kill and destroy. Um, you ever watched like National Geographic and the, the lion in the bush? You know, that's that it's crouching me, just look at him a house cat. Watch them toy with a you know, with a with a mole. They're crouching, can't see them. All of a sudden, you know, they pounce. Um, the scripture talks about uh, being overtaken in a fault, Galatians six one and two. Whenever you, you know, restore brethren, um, so it's, and the idea is there, you're overtaken in a fault. Um, you're waylaid. You're, you're walking along in the weeds and you get sucker punched. You know, something attacked you from, you know, from behind, and that's possible. But what Peter says here is when you're walking through the weeds, be watching for the snakes because they're there. And a lot of times we just kind of meander through life, you know, whistling along, picking the daisies, and wham! You know? And so there's a difference between slipping in a mud puddle and jumping in one. Peter says there are mud puddles everywhere, and they're not just things to step in. They're active forces that are attempting to waylay you. So that's the way that you... You look at, at at life. You don't do that with, with with you know, um, worshipful fear, like oh no, you know, um, because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. I mean, God's promised to keep you and protect you and otherwise, but but don't walk around um, spiritually naked. Don't go out in the battlefield without your helmet on. You know, make sure that that your gun works. I mean, it it it's that kind of you know of of mentality, because that's what's that's what's going on uh, around us. Um, so, if you read these verses, what you're going to see is there's a description of your enemy, and and in that description, it tells us not only who he is, but 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 how he works, and he has real plans, and he has a purpose, and then the, he uses people. Um, you say he's not the Satan always presents himself in one of two ways in, in our world. Something really, really scary to, you know, like in the, the horror films. That, because fear, there's a part of worship there. So he's a really, really scary guy, or he's just totally dismissed. He's the, you know, he's the little guy like the old George Burns movies, or the, you know, the little fella in a red suit with a, you know, with a pitchfork, or or some other perversion. And Scripture doesn't present Satan that way at at all. He's an angel of light, he's disguised, he's deceptive, and yet he has very evil 
evil means. Um, and he is a methodical process to lead uh, men uh, astray. So let's look at um, number one here. We're knowing our enemy. The first thing we learn is you're no match for Satan, humanly speaking. Our minds are susceptible to his craftiness. And he leads us astray by, by deception. Revelation 12.9 says he's the deceiver of the, whole, of the whole world. And he has specific methods to, to lead you astray. But what, what are some of those, those methods um, somebody open up to 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16. What method does Satan use to lead us astray? 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and, and 16. Yeah, go ahead, Isaac. Do not We talked about he has specific schemes in Ephesians 6, and they're camouflaged, and, and they're presented one way. They're actually presented as good, but they're, they're actually evil. And here we're told that, that we're susceptible to this deception. And one of the portals, one of the ways that he deceives is, is described there in, you know, in, in 1 John. What we desire, what we see... Pride and self-sufficiency, all of those things are the ways in which our enemy works. Um, You can think back into Genesis 3, the very introduction to Satan in the Bible. Genesis 1 through 3. He's calling God's word into question. Scripture says that that there's the deep things of Satan. There's a wisdom that's, that's there. Is a specific method to lead you astray, and you need to know what those methods are. He uses lies to, to misdirect. When you think of some of the lies that, let's say, you're aware of, like you know they're lies, but you see other people falling to those, those lies. Did anything come to your mind? What are some of the lies that people you know, buy into that's, that, that's subtle? Okay, my body, my choice. Yeah. Well, where's the lie in that? Is it your body? <laughs> Is it your choice? I mean, you got a choice to make. You, you're you're able to make that choice, but it's not without consequences, right? I mean, I I am I can jump out of an airplane without a parachute, and I'm free. I feel free the whole time. <laughs> but I'm gonna hit the ground. What are some of the other lies that you hear being told in the culture? My body, my choice. Yeah, Jim? First two lies of Satan. You can be in God and you shall surely not die. Mm, amen. Surely not die. You know, live for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know? One of the, 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 the most pervasive lies that he tells younger people 
You got plenty of time to worry about that. You know, get religious whenever you get, you know, whenever you get older. I mean, sow your wild oats now. I mean, live it up, you know. Just tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow. Yet, what is the lie? Does the Bible promise you tomorrow? I promise tomorrow. Um, and not only that, Ecclesiastes tells us that the decisions that you make in your in your youth and in, in your younger days are that that's where the battle is. I mean, you're setting you're setting the foundation now. You're 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 creating a trajectory for life. I mean, you, you don't make difficult choices now and go against your flesh now and and get in church now and read scripture now and develop spiritual disciplines now. And you begin to do that over and over and over. You think that you, one day at 30 you're going to wake up and you're going to start doing these things? I mean, these are, this is the way that, that spiritual discipline works. You know, you, you, you build strength and it, there's patterns in, in, in your life and developing bad, develop bad patterns too. What are some of the other lies? Huh? That's your truth? All right. Yeah, um, truth is subjective. We're going to talk about this, you know, at, at some point, you know, modern, you know, pre-modern, modernism, post-modern. I mean, one of the things that you're dealing with now, whenever you're trying to talk to somebody and just like, let's say you're talking to them about, uh, you know, uh, cultural Marxism. You know, Marxism is bad. Soci- you know, socialism is bad. Communism is bad. And you're giving them objective facts for why it's bad because... You know, it destroyed Russia, and it. You know, it, you look at what it did in, you know, in in China, and and you're using all these facts, and they're going, well, I don't care. Uh, this is what I feel right now. I don't care about objective truth. It, it's subjective. My truth, your truth. I want to tell you my truth. You know, you tell me your truth. Well, you know, what's 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 the logical problem that with that? If my truth, if I have my truth and you have your truth, what happens when those two truths contradict each other? Who's right? Can you have two truths, two, two things that are supposed to be exactly the same, even though they're opposing? It's, it's not logical. But that's, that's, that's part of the lie that you're dealing with in postmodern thought. Jim, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. Right? And after 1950, when everybody came back, from the, came back from the war, they didn't want their kids to suffer the way that they did, and so they started the you know, permissive parenting, as Jerry Ragg lays out very well in his critical thinking series. So the, the, the great generation had the, the 60s generation. Um, permissive parenting entered in. Um, Dr. Spock and all that other, uh, you know, nonsense in the 60s. You had a bunch of, you know, undisciplined delinquents running around, and that gave birth to, you know, to all kinds of problems from the sexual revolution and otherwise, and that's when psychiatry, you know, came in. Uh, All about you, all about me, self, 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 and you could probably go on down the line. It's a lie. Um, You're... And think of how subtle it is. Think of how soon. Now, I'm not telling you don't let your kids watch Disney movies by what I'm getting ready to say, but all the way down to what little children watch, things are being sown. There are philosophies that are there. 
about, it's about you. There's a worldview that's there. And if you're watching those things, that's, that's okay, but you need to be taking those opportunities to point out to Junior or Sissy, like, do you see that? You, is that true, what they just said? Is that true? You know, is it, is it true, you know, if you just let it go, let it go? You know? um, that, that, that'll work out well for you? Use those opportunities. I mean, that's a Deuteronomy 6. Teach them about the philosophies that, that, are, that are there as you're living. Point it out. So they're able to then discern, oh, yeah, that, that's what's happening there. Now, obviously, some things, you know, don't let them watch trash uh, and point out the trash. That, those are, that's obvious. I'm talking about the ones that, you know, that, 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 that are subtle. Um, anything else? All right, marriage is love. Love is love. You know, who are you to deny somebody love? And, and I mean, now you're about three steps down the, down the path in our culture for these lies, and, and there was one behind it, and, and it all comes back to, you know, who gets to define what is right and what, it, what is wrong? Um, and, and Scripture says there's a creator. There's someone who made us and made everything. And you're accountable to Him, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? If there is a Creator, then creation is accountable to the one who made them. You know, That's what your mama used to say. At least that's what mine did when I got mouthy. Listen, I brought you into the world and I can take you out, right? I mean, that principle is there. God made you. He has the right to tell you what to do. So where do we figure out what God told us what to do? Well, that's... Scripture. If he's powerful enough to create you, then he's clearly powerful enough to communicate to you. And then the question is, how did he communicate? And it's very evident that Scripture is a supernatural book. It's God's book. That's how he communicates. He tells us. And besides that, you're not smart enough to figure it out on your own anyway. Scripture rightly interprets reality. So that's where you start with people. Where do I start with an unbeliever that doesn't even believe the Bible, doesn't even believe in God? You start... You're, you're created. You have a creator. And you have to establish that because that's the, the basis of authority. What authority does God have to tell me what to do? He made you. And you'll stand before him again one day. So, yeah. And that goes back to the, you know, now they're defining what is love. Who defines love? Well, Scripture defines God. And who defines you know, what, what is marriage? All right, look at number two. You know, men are no match for Satan, humanly speaking. We're susceptible to him. He has specific methods, and he uses lies to misdirect. Um, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians 11. Disguises himself. He deceives the whole world. Revelation 12.9. Have you ever watched... You know, let's say the news or what you see going on around you, or even talk to somebody, and like you can see it plain as day. Like, that's crazy. I mean, how can you even think that? That's illogical for these three reasons. You know, you're witnessing to somebody, and you, I mean, it's just you see where they're at, you're able to discern, and you're going, you know, how, how can you not see it? Well, that's grace, 
you, you have the mind of Christ. You have the ability to discern. That's something that, that God gives you through the Spirit and, you know, and, and the Word. But, but the whole world is deceived. He's, he's deceived the whole world. And he disguises himself in, as an angel of life. And he deceives entire cultures and nations. He deceives individuals, but, but in that Ephesians uh, passage and that talks about not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, its authorities. So, I mean, he deceives entire cultures and, and nations. He does that in many ways. He doesn't care. It can be, you know, he can deceive the visible gods, you know, India, Hinduism. Little idol, something that's that, that's visible. It can be a godlessness, like in China. Um, it can be religious, counterfeit Christianity, like in America. He deceives entire cultures and nations, and he doesn't care what tool he he uses. Um, and then that's sown. Those worldviews are sown, and they're taught. There's a system that's that's there. You can see it. Frustrate you. He leads them to perform evil acts and, and atrocities. He leads them to perform acts of evil and, and atrocities. How does he do that? Whether they're already susceptible, they're, they're evil, human beings are evil in their heart themselves, but, but he influences their thinking with philosophies. Um, Show me what a person does, how they act, the decisions that they make, how they live their life, and I, will, I can back into what they believe because your actions are connected to, to what you believe. And then what you believe, obviously, is connected to, you know, to authority. So, so your behavior is directly connected to your thinking, and that's directly connected to the core of who you are. And that's what Jesus says. You'll know them by their, by their fruits, and so he does, you know, your, what you think, how you think, it's more than just, just a philosophy. And that's going to show up in your life. It's going to show up in how you live. You know, how in the world is, you know, can, can you murder a baby and really think that you're doing culture a service, like you're helping people? Because this baby's going to grow up in poverty and... You know, and you know, or you know, look. I mean, you wouldn't want this this little baby, you know, to you know, to have Down syndrome or something like that. Look, think of the horrible life that they the, that they would live, or you know, or or, or you have terminal cancer, and this person's going to be in pain. They ought to be able to take their own life. I mean, what kind of quality of life you, do you see the lie that, that that that's in there? You see how subtle that is. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to live, you know, like. Like that, or I wouldn't want to be in, in you know in that kind of pain. And there's a lie that's that's under the under the surface. So there's influences, influences they're thinking with you know with with philosophies. It's one of the ways he does it, and he also tempts their flesh with with desires, power, pride, what you see. Go back to those first John. So he disguises himself. You're no match for him. He disguises himself, and here's, here's the results of his disguises. 
Okay, number three, Satan attacks where the influence is greatest. I mean, you, you, you know that principle. You're, you're no match for Satan, but you understand that if I want to do the most damage, uh, I want to take out somebody that, that has influence. I want to target them. That's what Satan does. He attacks through a leader or an influencer, someone in a position to to lead groups or many individuals. He's smart and he's crafty. You think he just picked Eve out of, you know, just, just randomly? He had a play into that. A process. He, he knew that, that Eve could get to Adam and that both of them would get to, get to God. I mean, it's, it's the way that he works. If he can't get to you, he's going he's gonna to go through the back door somehow. Influence your wife, can influence your children, can influence your boss. He's going to figure out some way to to get there. So he, he goes when he attacks. He attacks a, a leader or or an influencer. Um, and so you, as men, you have a greater bullseye on your back than than your wife or others. You're in any type of position of leadership in work or in the church. The bullseye is even greater because if he can take you out, he can influence you. Then you're going to influence other people. Um, only rarely will he focus on someone on the fringe unless he can seize an opportunity to snare a leader or an influencer through a person. And this is the principle if you're looking for the devil in the church, don't forget to look behind the, you know, behind the pulpit. Um, and it's subtle. I mean, you know, a, a false teacher or, or a deceived you know, pastor or preacher that... He's not going to stand up and say, I'm going to deny the Word of God today. He's going to take the Bible and make the Bible say what he wants it to say or, or say nine things that are true and one thing that's, that, that's error, but that one thing is, is going to be you know, significant. So you need to be a Berean. You know what Scripture says. Um, you need to make sure that you're in a biblical church like you are that has a plurality of elders, number of men, not just one guy who's the, you know, who everybody follows. And the guy that, that, that is teaching you, whether it's from the pulpit like I do or, or in a Sunday school class or in a Grace and Grant, that that guy is, I mean, you can see that, that, that what he's saying, he's committed to Scripture and the authority of Scripture. He's submitting to it himself, which is, why the Scripture gives, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, for, for these marks of faithfulness. You're able to observe their life. Don't follow somebody on a flat screen or on a, on a podcast where you can't observe, where they're actually putting into practice what they're preaching to you. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. Don't follow somebody who's 20 or, or 30, you know, that has nobody else around them to insulate them and to protect them. I mean, that's a recipe for, for, for disaster. Um, I've got to the point where I'm hesitant to read anybody that's not already dead. <laughs> because the guys that are dead, you can see the fruit of their life. You, know, you can know which way they, they go. You know, and if I am going to follow somebody or, or present somebody to you, it's going to be somebody like, like MacArthur. Why do you bring up MacArthur all the time? You know, because you went to the school? No, because he's 80 and he's had a 50-plus year faithful ministry and he's never wavered and there's never been a scandal in his life and he's absolutely rock solid when it comes to the Bible. I don't have to worry about what John MacArthur says. But I do if a guy's 30. Where's he going to be at 35 or where's he going to be at 40? So just be careful with the personality, the cult of personality. 
Guys can, can have good intentions, but they're deceptive. He's subtle. Um, and, um, you know, not to give a plug for, for expositors, but, um, but I, I have no problem saying that the men that are there, they're not looking to just get their piece of paper and run out and change the world. I mean, the, the runway for them is long. I mean, they're thinking, man, I want to I stay under faithful pastors, faithful shepherding. I want to serve and, and, and do that in the local church where I can learn. And maybe when I'm 40, you know, <laughs> that's good. Um, God's going to use you. You need to be careful. Uh, it's ugly out there. Satan attacks where the influence is, is greatest. This is interesting. Number four, Satan has deep knowledge and resources. Revelation 2.24. Somebody read Revelation 2.24, if you would. Who would read that for me? Yep, thank you. What some call the deep things of of, of Satan. My, I read that. My mind immediately went to one of the Chronicles of Narnia movies, where the the, the lion guy on there talks about the deep magic. You know, don't quote the deep magic to me, which I was there whenever it was written. Um, the deep things of of Satan. Satan has deep and. Deep knowledge and, and, and resources. Martin Luther, our mighty fortress is our God. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his is equal. You cannot think him. Um, and he doesn't care whether he deceives you with some lust of the flesh, the pride of life, or he gets you, you know, intoxicated by your own, your own skill, your own wisdom, philosophy. You can just get in the philosophy washing machine and go round and round and round, and you go as deep as you want to go. It's the Mariana Trench. It's the bottomless pit, and you can just swim around there until you, you die and go to hell. He didn't care. People are smart. And even in their, their, their education, they can... It end up uses bright minds. And Satan exploits uh, the use of Scripture to his advantage. You know, I think when I, I read this, I think one of the most common ones that you all already know, you know, when, what is it, Joel Osteen starts every sermon, you know, telling you to pull out your Bible, and he says some little mantra about the Bible, and he throws it away and never uses it. Satan exploits the use of Scripture to his advantage. You ever turned on the, you know, the wood, hay, and stubble network, the, you know, the false teacher channels on, you know, on TV, Daystar, or whatever it is? Everybody's quoting, this is the Bible. The Word says, they'll even, they'll even go there and read it, right? And if they make it say what, what they want it to say. 
exploits the use of Scripture to his advantage. He twists the truth as a means of deceive, uh, a means to deceive. You can make the Bible say all kinds of things. Um, but is that what it really says? In context, in language, study, study to show yourself approved as a workman, approved to God, so you can rightly divide the word of, of truth. He twists the truth as a means to, you know, to deceive. And all the stuff that's going on right now in the, you know, in the church, um, the culture, uh, Black Lives Matter, all the social justice stuff that's out there, it's seductive. I mean, think about it. I mean, your teacher, Jesus, took up for the, the poor and the, you know, the, the outcast and the ones that were trampled by the, you know, by the man, by the, the, the mean, bad Pharisees and the religious leaders and, and power. And, and I mean, why wouldn't you want to stand up for the, the oppressed and, and otherwise? And Jesus was, you know, was a... He brought, he would be for justice. You should be for those kinds of things. It's subtle. It's a lot, even a lot more subtle than that. Um, they'll use scripture to tell you that that's what you, you need to believe, and it's, there's lies mixed in there. Satan's first victory, could be on page 170, was getting Eve to dialogue about God. He simply wanted Eve to think two creatures could have a casual conversation about the Creator. Let's just talk about it. I mean, what's wrong with, uh, you know, with, with going to unbelievers and asking them what they think? I mean, let, let, let's hear what the skeptics, skeptics say. You can learn something from a skeptic. Let, let, let's hear what they're saying. And then we'll, we'll just have a dialogue about it. Well, so what Scripture says. Reject foolish questions, genealogies. Don't even entertain those things. Don't even engage those kinds of things. Because you're not smart enough for his devices. And Eve was toast whenever she agreed to engage in the casual conversation. His success was in getting Eve to converse about the nature of God. Who are you to even dis- who are you to even question what the nature of God is? You're not smart enough to do that. God tells you who He is in His Word. And men will muse on our own opinions. We're far more prideful in our arrogance than we realize, and Satan uses that pride to to lead us astray, 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no man deceive himself. We're talking about Satan deceiving others. Part of that deception is you can deceive yourself. Um, Think about that concept. You know, the the worst thing about that is if you're self-deceived, you don't know it, right? (laughs) So how do you know if you're self-deceived? Somebody else has to open your eyes. Somebody else has to help you. How does God do that? Well, He does that through His Word um, and through bringing the truth to bear you know, on your on your life. We have a real enemy, brothers, 
and it's he's not always obvious in the way that he works and he works through people he works through systems he works through philosophies um, and he doesn't care if there's 99% truth as long as he can insert 1% error and pollutes the whole batch. Um, and you have to be sober and you have to be vigilant. You have to be defensive. You have to be aware. Um, don't walk around in the battlefield without, without your armor on. Um, and I'm afraid that there are Christians that are not just walking in the battlefield without their armor on. They're running around in the world buck naked spiritually. They really are. And he's just picking them off one at a time. And um, and I have better uh, better hopes for you because you're men that love the word. You're here and I'm so thankful for that. And any closing thoughts or comments before I pray and let you pray for you and go to work? All right. Yeah, Jim. Mm. <laughs> it's pretty easy, isn't it? Yeah. There's philosophies there. And that doesn't deny that, that there's real you know, diseases and sickness and that you've know, got to be wise and those kind of things. It's a perversion of that. So it's taking something that's legitimate and perverting it for an evil end. And, and that's what you have to, to discern, and that's not always easy, always easy to do. Um, you think, yeah, I'll see it. I mean, I'll see it plain as day. I mean, I'm prepared. And that's when you get sucker punched. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Deceiver, manipulator, your adversary. Um, like a tiger, like a lion, great dragon. Scripture describes him. Scripture describes your enemy. Um, be on guard for him, for sure. Ed? Yeah, that's a good question. We were just talking about this this past week. Like, is he not smart enough to know that, you know, what, what's coming, what's the end? And, and um, you know, you, he was the, you know, the anointed cherub that, you know, that covereth. I mean, he's, he's in heaven right beside God, the original sinner. Um, that, and the pride that was there that, Elevated. I mean, you imagine being in God's very presence, saying, "I will ascend above the Most High." You know, um, so it's hatred for God, it's love for self, it's you know, it's pride. Um, he's uh, he's got to be deceived himself. What is the ultimate end? He's the he's the hater of you know, hater of God, and yet the actual motives of his heart. I think what you find from Scripture is is the desire for preeminence. Desire for pride, the desire to be like God, the desire to be uh, you know above God. How did he get that? You know, to begin with, I don't know that I can answer that question. You know? 
but his his goal is to is to destroy, uh, steal, kill, and destroy. You know, anything that God loves, anything that has God's stamp on it, anything that is that's pleasing to God, he's you know he's against, which is why he hates us. You know, and particularly he hates humanity in general because all humanity bears the image of God, and he wants to he wants to gain followers, wants to be worshipped. Um, but he hates the church in particular um, because they're, they're Christ's prize, Jesus' bride. If you really, really, really wanted to hurt somebody, um, you know, I want to go after you, but if I can't get to you, you know, then I'd, I'd love to hurt your wife. I mean, that's one of the, one of the ways that, that I would try to do it. And so Jesus willingly laid down his life you know, in order to purchase his bride and... Um, and he's still attacking. So that's good. Yeah. Yes? Um, I know it's not necessarily an issue here, um, but do you think the church collectively as a whole places too much emphasis on defending the faith from unbelievers rather than uh, defending the faith from false teachers? That's a I mean, excellent. It's actually where we're 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 going to be going in this in the very next you know, very next section. You know, you hear what Jesse said, we're as he said, the church as a whole in America, and he's 100% right, is more focused on defending the faith uh, with unbelievers rather than defending the faith from false teachers in the church. You understand the distinction? I mean, don't be surprised that the unbelieving world doesn't believe the Bible. They're sinners. I mean, they're going to believe horrible things. I mean, you don't need to, you give a reason for the hope that's within you, that's evangelistic. But the defense of the faith is from false teachers within the church. So focus, you know, focus there. I, I'm not surprised that Nancy Pelosi believes what she believes. I, mean, I hate the, you know, the evil that, that's there. What, what I want to fight against is preachers or teachers that are teaching so-called believers, you know, error, polluting the church. So yeah, it's great, great distinction. Well, good. Uh, read ahead. Go back and look up some of these verses. We'll cover uh, six and, and seven next time and probably a couple other things. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. You brought these men out and they, they show their love for you and, and, and even desire to, to learn by, by being here. This is not a group of, of, uh, you know, of passive, passive brothers. You have to be intentional to get out of bed at, at 5 in the morning and, and come here even before they go to work. So I pray you'll bless them for their effort. Take something that we've learned from your word and uh, help us to put it into practice. Uh, guard us, Lord, from, from evil and from Satan's ways. Help us to discern. Um, and and uh, we, we love you. We thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.